Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increase with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. In 95 A.D., the Apostle John received a prophetic vision of the events and the characteristics of the church age which began ten days after the ascension of Christ in 30 A.D. and it was launched by the arrival of the Holy Spirit taking up residence in the body of those professing faith in Christ. This body of believers called the church has been commissioned to serve as the appointed administrators and representatives of God. This prophetic revelation concerning the church age is recorded in the letters to the seven churches recorded in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. The beginning of the church age on the day of Pentecost in 30 A.D. interrupted the administration of Israel seven years short of the 490 years that God had assigned them upon their return from the Babylonian captivity. The prophet Isaiah told the Jews that because of their repeated unfaithfulness, there would come a time when they would be set aside as God's administrators and others would be appointed in their place. Isaiah gave them specific signs that would reveal that they had been replaced with another administration and that they were once again going to be dispersed. Isaiah's chapter 28 and 29 document that. One of the signs Isaiah gave to indicate that the change of administration had occurred was that they would become evangelized in Gentile languages. This sign would also indicate their impending dispersal. The sign recorded in the 28th and the 29th chapters of Isaiah was manifested for the first time on the day of Pentecost in 30 A.D. Acts chapter 2 documents that, and it continued for the next 40 years of biblical generation. And then in 70 A.D., Jerusalem was destroyed and the Jews were dispersed by the Roman emperor Titus and the prophecy manifested by the gift of tongues being fulfilled ceased of itself 
according to 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13. On the day of Pentecost in 30 AD, Israel was set aside and the church became the administrator for God's revelation, fulfilling the prophetic message taught by the Feast of Pentecost, which foretold the end of the primary harvest of the Jews and the beginning of the harvest by the church. But Daniel was told by the archangel Gabriel that Israel would be given another 490 years as the administrators of God's revelation in Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. And only 43 years had elapsed when they were cut off and the church was grafted in. However, God is always faithful to His promises, and in keeping with the prophecy that had been revealed to Daniel, the final seven years are yet to come. Those seven years are identified as the 70th week of Daniel, each week representing a week of years, 70 times 7 equaling the 490 years that God had promised. That seven-year period referred to as the tribulation is the focus of Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 19 and harmonizes with the Old Testament prophets which spoke of that same period of time. The tribulation, when it will begin, and what will occur in that seven-year period is the center of a great deal of curiosity. Many signs are given and much detail has been provided revealing the events which will occur culminating in the destruction of the earth and its atmosphere. Chapter 20 of the book of Revelation provides some information about the millennial reign of Christ prior to the final attempt of Satan. And chapter 22 then introduces us to the end of time and eternity itself. So it's the first three chapters of Revelation and the prophecies in the epistles that relate to the church and upon which we will focus our attention in our attempt to understand current events that are happening today in light of what Bible prophecy has declared. Jesus said, It's an evil and adulterous generation that seeketh after a sign. And the Old Testament prophets and the book of Revelation provide some signs as to the end of time. Those final seven years are well documented in the book of Revelation, although there's a heavy use of symbols and terminology which must be harmonized with the writings of the Old Testament prophets, we're able to account for what is going to take place, for the events that will occur during that seven-year period. But only in the first three chapters of Revelation do we have any prophecies concerning the church, other than the church being called up to heaven in chapter 4, and then the church returning with Christ back to the earth in chapter 19. Christ, as the bridegroom, comes for his church. The church before the tribulation, First Thessalonians 4.13 and 18, then will be called up by Christ, and uh, it begins and then returns with the church as his bride for the wedding supper in Revelation chapter 19. 
So the church is called up at the end of chapter 3, and the church comes back with Christ at the end of chapter 19. So what are we to understand about what is going on in the world right now? Jesus did not provide a lot of signs concerning his return in the air to raise the dead in Christ and to take us to heaven. He gave us a commission and he said, be ready. Our understanding of current events has to be filtered then through the lens of the prophetic history of the church as it's outlined in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. Then we must analyze those events through the categories of prophecy found in the epistles of the New Testament. We've identified those events prophesied in the epistles. The prophetic calendar of the church age is set in Revelation beginning with chapter 2 verse 1 and going through the end of Revelation chapter 3 verse 13. We also have uh, then the final age in Revelation 3, 14 through 22. We've outlined it in our previous studies. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, is Ephesus, the desired one. It represents the church from its beginning on the day of Pentecost in 30 A.D. to 160 A.D. Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, identified the church of Smyrna. The word Ephesus meant desired one and showed the church in its honeymoon relation, but waning off in the latter years of their period of time, about 160 A.D. The word Smyrna identifies a resin that was placed in vats and crushed to produce the sweet aroma of the costly fragrance of myrrh, and it shows the church being crushed under the heel of Roman persecution from 160 A.D. to 312 A.D. Revelation 2, verses 12 through 13, shows the church a Pergamos period of time from 312 A.D. to roughly 600 A.D. The word Pergamos means illicit marriage, and it's when Constantine married the church to the Roman government, a church that is espoused to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the perversion of doctrine occurred. In Revelation 2, 18 through 29, we have the church of Thyatira. The word Thyatira means a continual sacrifice. Christ had once and for all paid our debt on the cross of Calvary, for sins past, present, and future. But the church perverted with compromise with the Roman government under Constantine and those that followed him, perverted the doctrine of grace and declared that grace was not sufficient, that there had to be then penance and works along with it. And so they instituted not animal sacrifice as had been under the age of Israel, but rather they instituted various forms of penance and works. Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 1 and going through verse 6, identifies the Sardis period of church history. The word Sardis means called out remnant. 
And in 1517 A.D., that remnant was called out, and we have the Reformation period from 1517 A.D. to about 1750 A.D. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, identify the Philadelphian period of church history. It is, the word Philadelphia means brotherly love, and it is that period of time where there were great awakenings around the world, missionary expansion, evangelism to all the nations of the earth from 1750 to about 1950. In Revelation 3, verses 14 through 22, we see the Laodicean period. Laos is people, Laodicea is government, is a church governed by the people. It is a church manifesting humanism. As a matter of fact, in 1946, we have the establishment of the World Council of Churches, and then in their adoption of the Human Manifesto as their guiding doctrine, which in all senses elevates man to deity and reduces God to that level of humanity where the focus is upon the social gospel instead of the statement, you must be born again. A study of these churches alongside history shows that. Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, as I had represented that period between the beginning of the church age in 30 A.D. and 160 A.D., the word meaning desired one, and the characteristics of that church period indicate the honeymoon has ended and they need to get back to the fervency of their first love. The church at Smyrna, the characteristics identified by the church at Smyrna parallel the severe persecution that church-age believers experienced under ten Roman emperors. The statement in the letter is ten days. It represents ten periods of time. We're under ten Roman emperors from 160 A.D. to 312 A.D. The church was persecuted. Smyrna, we've said, is the name of a resin that was placed into vats and crushed to produce the costly fragrance of myrrh, while the crushing of Christians under the heel of the Roman government produced the sweet aroma of dedication and perseverance uh, uh, in the lives of Christians during that time. We went to Thyatira then. Emperor Constantine was guilty of a more dastardly crime than the ten previous emperors before him. While persecution tends to weed out those of shallow commitment, it causes true believers to grow even stronger roots and take a firmer stand through the period of persecution from 160 A.D. to 312 A.D., a pure form of Christianity developed. But Satan intended to be the end of Christianity by the marriage of the Roman church became his program rather than, than trying to stamp it out with persecution. So Constantine stopped the persecution of Christians He married the church to the Roman government in order to control the church. Remember the word pergamos means an illicit marriage. The church is to be the bride of Christ and it was married by the emperor Constantine to the Roman government 
and it had tragic effect upon the church. The word Thyatira means continual sacrifice, and in the illicit marriage of the church to the Roman government, the gospel was perverted. Pergamus identifies that illicit marriage, and Thyatira identifies a continual sacrifice. A new system of works and penance would require the believer's dependency upon the ecclesiastical order of the church and require believers to continually sacrifice in order to have and to maintain any salvation. The system resulted in what we call the Dark Ages. From about the 4th century to the 14th century, and it was during this period that the Crusades took place in an attempt to recapture the Holy Land and to force people through militant pressures to become Christians or die. The major perversion of doctrines occurred during this period of church history from around 600 to 1517 A.D. The church prohibited followers from reading the Bible so that they might become dependent upon the hierarchy of the church. But then we arrive at the Sardis church. A desire to bring about reformation in the church and get back to the word of God and the gospel of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone prompted a priest by the name of Martin Luther to nail his 99 complaints of perverted doctrines to the door of the cathedral in Wittenberg, Germany. He was excommunicated from the church, and a new period of church history began. This period is revealed in the prophecy concerning the church at Sardis. The word means a called-out remnant. So it began with Martin Luther nailing his thesis to the door of the cathedral in Wittenberg on October 31, 1517, and it resulted in a remnant coming out of the perverted structured church. However, Martin Luther took a lot of his Holy Roman Empire baggage with him in his departure. Those doctrines prompted the forming of groups during the exodus from the Roman church, and these groups are based on various interpretations of basic doctrines which had been perverted these groups formed around doctrinal interpretation became known as denominations. Philadelphia, this new freedom that was experienced to read and understand the Bible along with exposure to the original languages then led to a spiritual awakening around the entire world. The historical prophetic reference to this period of church history was revealed in Revelation chapter 3 as the Philadelphian church period. The word Philadelphia means brotherly love. As you compare the characteristics of the church of brotherly love alongside history, it's clear to see its fulfillment beginning around 1750, but ending around 1950. We moved around 1950, we said, into the Laodicean period. The prophetic history of the church ends with the prophecies concerning the characteristics during the Laodicean period, which, when we lay that alongside history, reveals it to have started around 1950 and continues 
till the rapture occurs. The word Laodicea means governed by the people and is characterized by humanism rather than a focus on the deity of God. It's the age-old problem that was first manifested in Scripture by Satan's determination to be like God. Isaiah records that in chapter 14, beginning at verse 12. He says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will extend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. This is the root of the temptations also with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Lucifer's comment as the serpent to the woman, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. We find that recorded in Genesis 3, beginning at verse 4. The serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. This is the peril of of the church today, when the focus has been taken off of God and directed to humanity. Today we have preachers like Benny Hinn who blatantly declares, don't let them tell you you're like God. You are God. But the more subtle approach is to divert the focus from the teaching of the Holy Scriptures to an oral approach of storytelling in order to customize it to the culture of that day without offending anyone. Each of the seven periods of the church age is admonished by the statement to hear and heed what the Spirit said to them and then to focus on the specific message to the church period in which we live, that is, the Laodicean period. Here's a brief summary of what the Spirit said to the churches. Remember from whence you are fallen. Repent of the loss of the fervency of your love. Repent of your compromise. They had a compromise of Balaam, we are told, that was motivated by greed, and the compromise of the Nicolaitans, which was motivated by immorality. Repent of your idolatry. Be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Hold fast to that which you have been taught. Hold that fast which you have that no man take your crown. Do business with God. Get gold tried in the fire. Get white raiment which is the righteousness of the saints. Anoint your eyes with salve. Be zealous and repent. That's a brief summary of what is found in the seven letters as to a summary of what the Spirit had to say. But it wasn't just on that note of what we needed to do. There was an or else clause. He said, or else I will remove the church. Today, there are less than half 
the number of churches in the year 1914. Less than half of the number of churches there were back then. Or else I will fight against you with the sword of my mouth. The sword, of course, is the word of God. Or else I will come upon thee as a thief in the night. The faithful will receive a crown. That is, a Stephanos crown, a reward based on their living the life based on faith. God said, I will put no other burden on you. Each of the letters have an overcomer passage. And the overcomer will eat of the tree of life. The overcomer will not be hurt of the second death. The overcomer will eat food the world knows nothing of. The overcomer will be given a white stone, that means acquitted. The overcomer will be given a new name. The overcomer who keeps my works will rule over the nations and have confident expectation. The overcomer will be clothed in white raiment. The overcomer will not have his name blotted out of the book of life. The overcomer will have his name confessed before the Father and his angels. The overcomer will be a pillar in the temple of God. The overcomer will not go out anymore. The overcomer will have written upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, and his new name. The overcomer will sit with Christ in his throne. The Laodicean church is today's point in in biblical prophecy. Revelation 3 14 through 22 again, we need to hear the characteristics and the urgencies to the church in our day. Under the angel of the church of Laodiceans write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and know not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear." And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's look at this Laodicean church a little closer. We've indicated that the letter is written to the Laodiceans. 
we've identified that the word Laodicea means governed by the people. Laodicea was 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia. It was a city of millionaires at the time this letter was written by John the Apostle as he records it dictated by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Paul sent a letter he acknowledges in the book of Colossians to the church of Laodicea. We don't have that book unless it perhaps might be the book of Ephesians which seems to fit that note and in the earlier manuscripts of the book of Ephesians the phrase to the saints has an addition to it beginning around the 10th century that says at Ephesus the older manuscripts simply say to the saints so this could possibly be the book of Ephesians, but nevertheless we know he wrote a letter to the church of Laodicea according to Colossians 4.16. Laodicea is the church of the last days. Its focus is on humanism and liberal socialism, and uh, certainly we have seen that occur in our lifetime. In each of the letters, Christ presents, first of all, a characterization of himself with regard to that church. Each letter has different characterizations emphasized. This is what he emphasizes himself as to the church of Laodicea. The Amen. Amen is a transliteration of a Hebrew word which means, let it be so, and let the saying of it be charged to my account. It is brought into the English language by our pronunciation, Amen. It is sometimes translated in the King James Bible by the word verily. As a matter of fact, the double verily, 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 is found 25 times in the Gospel of John, which is the gospel that depicts the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus identifies himself as the Amen. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the very, verily. He is the one that authorized it to be done and presents that gospel to us and takes the charge for saying it. Not only does he identify himself as the Amen, but he identifies himself as the faithful and true witness. He is faithful to his promises. He is faithful and true to his testimonies. He is the witness of God. By the time the church has arrived uh, around 1950 at the Laodicean period of time, much perversion has occurred and there is much false doctrine that has permeated the church. And now in this particular period of time, there is a departure from the teaching and preaching and proclaiming of the word in its pure form to changing it to an oral presentation which can be modified so as not to offend anyone. We certainly find things in the message 
of Christ to the church in the New Testament that received the scorn of the secular world around us today and unfortunately now too much of the ecclesiastical church has adopted that. The Bible used to be very critical, or the Bible is very critical, of homosexual activity, and actually describes homosexual activity as being the result of a people who knew God but glorified Him not as God. We see that taking roots within the church today and that message has been modified so as not to offend, but to attract. And in doing so, folks have departed from the true gospel message that salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that salvation brings with it some guidelines and empowerment by the Holy Spirit through which we can live a life that glorifies God. And so Jesus is identified as the faithful and true witness to this church. His promises, his testimony, his doctrine, his witness of God is what we need to heed. He identifies himself as the beginning of the creation of God. The word beginning, R-K in the Greek, means the one in authority in the creation of God. John chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that He is the Creator of all things. He emphasizes that to the church of Laodicea as God's calendar for this earth is winding down and uh, at any point the rapture could occur and that will be followed by seven years of the completion of the Jewish administration that period of time called the tribulation and then the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The criticisms to the church of Laodicea began with the statement, I know thy works. God is certainly aware of our activity as individuals and as a church. And certainly the church has moved its focus away from worldwide evangelism, is focused from being a training center to equip the saints to do the work of the church, to do the work of God. And now we see it uh, focusing on uh, equal opportunity and a woke uh, agenda that is occurring in our day. He said, I know your works. He said, I know that you're neither cold nor hot. Oh, there's still a profession uh, verbally in a God we trust, but certainly there is no zeal, no fire of evangelism and commitment that is seen in the church today. So Jesus said, I would that thou wert either cold or hot. But because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. It's in this period of church history that the church is going to be spewed out. The word means vomit. I will vomit you out of my mouth. He said, you say that you're rich, that you're increased with goods, 
and that you have need of nothing. Certainly the church universally is wealthy today, increased with goods, and therefore not reliant upon God, but self-dependent or acting independent of God. We have no need of anything. Now that doesn't affect all the church congregations. We're speaking of the church as a whole. He said you don't know. The word know is translated from the Greek word oidos, and it means to perceive or know from understanding. You don't perceive or understand that you are wretched. Talai poros is the word in the Greek. It means you're in distress. And miserable, elians, elianos, means to be pitied. And poor, they have no gold or silver or precious stone. It's wood, hay, and stubble. Gold, silver, and precious stone are produced when we walk in harmony with God and are under the control of the Holy Spirit and are producing the fruit of the Spirit. It's wood, hay, and stubble, which is the human counterfeit of the divine uh, gold, silver, and precious stone, wood, hay, and stubble. And so we have no gold, we have no silver, we have no precious stones when we walk contrary to the infilling and controlling of the Holy Spirit in our life. We might produce service, but it's wood, hay, or stubble done in human effort. He said, you're poor, you have no gold or silver or precious stone, you're blind, you have no vision or spiritual perception, and you're naked, you're not arrayed in righteousness. So he says, let me counsel of you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. They had been taken in by fool's gold. The word buy, agorasis, means that you do business with me to attain gold. Gold is purified by the fire. He said, in order that you might be rich and have real gold, that the works that you produce are under the control of the Spirit of God and are genuine. He says, in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, so that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. In Roman or in Revelation 19.8, as the church comes in view at the end of the tribulation with Christ, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. The word righteousness means that which is in conformity with the plan or the blueprint. God has a blueprint for our life and our clothing is going to be how well we have applied ourselves to that blueprint, allowing His Spirit to enable us and direct us and following that with commitment and service. Laodicea was known for its manufacture of a famous eye salve, and so he throws in this phrase, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve. It's time you were able to truly see that which you don't know, that you're wretched and miserable and blind and naked, 
That is that you're in distress and to be pitied and you have no gold and you have no silver and you have no precious stones and you don't have any spiritual perception. He said, you need to use some ISAV so that you can actually see where you are. That you may see, that is, have spiritual perception. The irony of the situation was that with all their wealth, what they really needed cannot be bought with money. Jesus continued, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. If you are without chastisement, you better check your spiritual birth certificate and see who is listed as your father. Our Heavenly Father says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So he said, be zealous, therefore, and repent. The word zealous, remember he said they are lukewarm. He said, be zealous. Zelevi means boiling hot and repent. Metanoasin, change your mental attitude. Then is called to commitment. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Notice Christ is on the outside of the church. But then he makes a very personal invitation. He says, if anyone, he didn't say if the church hears my voice and opens the door. He said, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with the church. No, I will come in to him, not the church, but the individual, and will sup with him, fellowship with the individual. The church has become perverted once again. It's lukewarm. It's changed its focus. It's changed its core purpose. Those of us that live in this time have, however, a personal invitation from the Lord to hear His voice and open the door and He will come in to us and will fellowship with us. And so he closes by saying, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne as I overcame and then sat down with my Father in his throne. Who is the overcomer? First John chapter 5 verses 3 through 5 identifies the overcomer as one that believes that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that hears His voice and opens the door and allows Him to come into our life. The Scripture says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Scripture says, With the heart, Man believes unto salvation, but with the mouth confession is made. Excuse me, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The message to the church in our period of time closes with this admonition. He that hath an ear let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches.
God bless.